All right, we are continuing in the book of Romans. And Romans is, man, it's Paul's theological stance on the gospel. Um, just a little bit of backstory here. What Paul is doing, he's writing this book to a group of Christians in, in the city of Rome. We often think as these Christians here in Rome, there was probably thousands and thousands and thousands of us, probably this mega church, you know, this Joel Osteen kind of a thing where they got together. No, that's not the truth of what, this is actually like a, a remnant about it, maybe a hundred people in this church. And Paul has never visited Rome. He longs to visit Rome. He probably wants to set up a base camp in Rome, but he knows that because he's never visited Rome, he wants to give them this full picture, this exhaustive understanding um, of what the gospel is. And so if you've been tracking with us over the couple, couple months that we've been going through the book of Romans, you've seen how Paul, in every sentence, in every paragraph, in every scripture verse, what he does is he shows us the beauty and the truth of the gospel. And he keeps going back to the gospel. And, he, and it's as if he's he knows that if somehow we kind of assume the gospel, that it'll be lost on us, right? We kind of go, oh yeah, Paul, I get that. And then we kind of go through our lives. And Paul doesn't give us that, that luxury. What he does is he says, okay, I'm going to tell you the gospel. And then what I'm going to do is, again, I'm going to tell you the gospel. Then I'm going to show you how the gospel works. And then if you ever forgot how, what the gospel is, I'm going to tell you about the gospel again. And I'm going to remind you that the truth of the gospel is this. And then that the gospel is this. And the gospel exists. And the gospel is this. And it affects every single area of your life. And the gospel is every part of who you are as a Christian. It's not just your initiation into Christianity. The gospel is the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, H, all the way to Z of our Christian life. And Paul will not let us go. He will not let the, the truth of the gospel just be a moment where he just kind of mentions it. This whole book is about the gospel of Jesus. And he, he starts off by giving his testimony. You know, we, we looked at how Paul used to be this Judaizer, and he was very religious and thought that the law could save him. He was doing his best to be the best Jew on the planet, and he, he was so zealous about his religion that he was on his way to Damascus, papers in hand from the Jewish religious leaders about to put the church in jail, drag people by their hair, feeling so good about it. And then Jesus breaks into Paul's world, knocks him off. I think he might have been on a horse. It seems like he was. At least the church tradition tries to tell us that. Knocks him to, down to the ground. His, we, his knees are taken out from underneath him, and all of a sudden, he has this encounter with the living God. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, who is this Lord? And he has this radical transformation. He spends years in Arabia where Jesus himself, Galatians tells us, that, that Jesus himself preaches to Paul and teaches Paul the gospel. And it's no wonder why we have a book like Romans. It's no wonder why we have Ephesians and Corinthians and Philippians and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These rich truths and texts of the gospel of Jesus himself is pouring into Paul's heart and his understanding. 
And, and then Paul goes on and tells us, hey, it doesn't matter how you were born. It doesn't matter if you were born in this faith that was first chosen by God, if you call yourself a Jew, or if you weren't, if you're not of the Jewish faith or the Jewish race and religion, you, if you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you're on. We are all guilty before God. It doesn't matter how many good works you've done. It doesn't matter how many old ladies you've walked across the street. None of that matters anymore because now we are all, all of our righteousness and found in Christ. And it's righteousness, what? Through faith. It's through faith that we find our righteousness. And Paul points us back to the father of our faith, Abraham. He says, look at Abraham. Even though his body was, he looked down and went, oh man, I'm in trouble, right? Because God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's like, me? My father, like stuff's droopy, stuff's hanging all over the place. This is not possible. And then he's like, and look at my wife, you know, like he probably didn't say that out loud, probably saw it in his head. He was a wise man. And you know, oh my gosh, there's no way this is going to happen. And in, in faith, Abraham trusted God. And he says that he trusted God to the point where he understood that God was the one who was able to bring dead things to life. It's dead, not happening. And he's also the one who's able to speak things into existence, the things that, are, that don't exist. For instance, you and me and creation and the earth and the universe, with a word, God says, let there be light, and there was light. With a word, God says, let there be the earth, and there was the earth, et cetera, et cetera. And if the God who is the creator of the universe created it with just a word, this same God, Father Abraham, was able in faith to be able to say, I believe that the God who spoke this earth into existence, who said that I'm going to be the father of many nations, all he has to do is speak the word that I will produce a son, produce an heir. And from that, there will be many for the reason why we're sitting here this morning in our faith is because of Abraham's faith. And so Paul says, listen, you're not saved by anything but faith alone. Faith is the only thing that saves you. And so then we get to where we are this morning in Romans chapter 5, and what Paul's going to continue to do now is he's going to, so to speak, anybody here ever take uh, Ancestry.com, or what's the other one? 23, I mean, just by show of hands, come on, be brave, okay, oh, that's it, all right, all right, all right, social media is a big liar, they make it sound like everybody's doing this thing, right? It's probably just the insecure people like me. <laughs> you know, some friends gifted me with Ancestry.com. And, you know, I was like, well, I already know I'm Asian. You know, I'm half Asian. My, if you looked at my dad, you'd be like, yep, Kelly, you're Asian, you know. My dad looks like Bruce Lee. I mean, literally Bruce Lee. Uh, Korean. And then my mom, you know, she's She's Caucasian. She's a lot of mix of different Caucasian race ethnicities. But when I took the test, there were some things I didn't know were there, you know? I was like, I knew it was Korean, but then there was like 2% or something Japanese. And I was like, that's why I like sushi, you know? <laughs> you think it's funny, but it's true. And, and, and so what happens 
is you take these, these 23andMe's or these Ancestries.com's or whatever these kind of things are, and you find out the truth of who you are. You find out like your makeup. You find out like, well, this is why maybe I have a propensity for sushi or whatever it is, all these kind of things. And you know, it, it, what it does is identify kind of who you are. And what Paul's going to do with us in this chapter this morning is he's going to say, hey, there's this little thing I'm going to give you guys, um, and I'm going to show you that you have, one, this identity, but also there's this reborn identity that you've had. So my ancestry would say you're determined, you're, you're this and this, and so because you're this and this, you're going to do this, this, and this. And we're going to see that this morning, but there's also redemptive value in that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12 this morning. We're just going to read a couple. What we're going to do is we're going to break it up. You guys okay with that? We're going to, we're going to read the verses, and then we're going to talk about them. And then we're going to read the verses, and then we're going to talk about them. And then we're going to read the verses, and we're going to talk. That's really what a preacher does, okay? I'm not coming up with anything new. Uh, none of this stuff is mine. This is all God's. And all I'm doing is my best to try to explain it to you. That's all really what preaching is. So we're going to read the verse, and then we're going to, we're going to talk about it. So it's pretty easy. And here we go. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, and this is what... Paul tells us here, through, through uh, verse 14, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So what is what's Paul telling us here? All right. There's, there's a lot to be unpackaged in this portion of Scripture. Do you guys remember how a couple of weeks ago we talked about this thing called total depravity? Remember how fun that was, learning about our total depravity? And if you weren't with us, this, this truth about total depravity means that as human beings, there is nothing inherently morally perfect or wise or good within us because of, let me, let me say it this way. Anybody here ever do something that they know they shouldn't have done? Listen, only, y'all are liars. Look at Every single hand should be raised, all right? And if you're not raising your hand with confidence, you are deceived, okay? Um, but the truth is, all of us in here this morning should raise our hand because we all do things that we, we know we shouldn't do. We're, we constantly, every day, a billion times, maybe, maybe that's an exact, I'm a preacher, so I exaggerate. A hundred times, is that better? A hundred times a day we're at these forks in the road and we're like, do I go with the, the red pill or do I go with the blue pill, you know? The guy from the Matrix is like, which one are you going to take? And the flesh within us wants to take the pill that we know we shouldn't take. And our spirit, the Holy Spirit also is speaking to us, that don't take that pill, take this pill. And we're constantly doing this. And when we give in to the pill that we know we shouldn't take, what is happening in that moment is um, our Adam is showing. Okay? So like next time your spouse or your friend ever like sins against you, just go, your Adam is showing. Do something like that. And that will probably really help the conversation. <laughs> but the truth is that is exactly what's taking place. And because we can all say thank you, great, 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 great,
that you chose to rebel and sin and therefore pass on to me an inheritance that I therefore now get to enjoy every day, right? Of making choices and my flesh has a propensity, actually cannot without any other empowerment on its own, always will choose sin every single time. And the only time that my flesh does not choose sin is because only what is this thing called, this is another sermon for another time, because of the common grace of God. The only reason I ever do good, the only reason I ever do anything right if I'm not a believer is because God in his goodness and his love for mankind in general made a way for us to relate to one another and that we don't always have to do the worst thing possible. But there is this thing within us called this fleshly nature, and we get that from our great-grandfather, Adam. And you'll notice here that Paul says, because of that, all have sinned. All are guilty. All are under this this, uh, uh, judgment from God. And so what Paul does here in his first initial statement in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 14, he says, by the way, the gospel is, here's the gospel for you. We are all sinners. And because if you are born as a human on this planet, you have a sinful nature. And it's because of your ancestry. If you were to get your blood, put it in a vial or the DNA or whatever they do, and they do the markers and it would go, oh, bing, Adam. And we all go, no. But the truth is, because of Adam, we all have this sinful nature and we inherited it. It's a broken world, right? Remember how Donnie last week was telling us how this world is broken? I mean, Donnie up here talking about his friends who have overdosed, people in his church who are addicted to opioids. It's epidemic. It's epidemic, right? This world is broken. Turn on the news for five seconds. You ever watch the news and go, man, I just feel so good right now? No. The news is always about how somebody shot somebody else. News of how somebody stole this. And the only ever good news is usually about a cat getting rescued from a tree. As if that's the only good news. The world is broken. Why is the world broken? It's not because what happens is we grow up and we're perfect and then we learn how to sin. The reality is that we have inherited a sinful nature from our great-grandfather, Adam. And when the DNA test results come back, This is the grim reality. Now, that's the bad news, right? There's always got to be good news, and there is good news. Why? The, the, The word, the gospel, is the good news of God, the good news. But there can't be good news. Unless there's bad news, and we've, we've talked about the bad news now. Now, here's the good news, all right? Uh, let's continue reading. We're going to read in verses 15 through 19. And this is what Paul says. And, and, and here, look at, look at what's the first word that he says here in verse 15? But. But. This is, this is a glorious but. Get your mind out of the gutters, all right? This is, a, this is a beautiful but. This is, this is like, God, thank you for this word but because this is what is going to proceed here, all right? He says this, but the free gift is not like the trespass. It, this free gift that you're going to receive in Christ, it's, it's, it's so different, it's so contrary 
to the sin that you inherited from Adam, all right? But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, all of us, many, that word many, he's basically saying everybody, much more. Everybody say much more. Good, okay, that's, that was pretty good. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, speaking of Adam. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought what? Justification. These such good words. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there for a second. So here's what we have. We have in this corner, we have Adam, the fighting sinner, right? And he's coming out. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's all grumpy looking. And then in this corner, we have Jesus. This is like Carmen all happening over again. If you're a Christian in the 80s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and so we had these two bouting off against each other. Now, here's what I want to talk about first before we get into some of the nitty-gritty about this. Paul, in his beautiful way, in his, in, his, in his very objective way of explaining the gospel to us, what he does in this sense, he says, you know how you inherited a sinful nature from your great-grandfather Adam? The righteous nature the redemptive nature, the justification slash no more condemnation nature that you inherit from Jesus is so much better, bigger. He uses the word much more. Now, if you have these two guys come into the ring, what our religious mind is tempted to believe is that these are opposites. Yes, they are opposed, but they are in no way opposites. Come on, tell me, yeah, come on, somebody. See, let me explain it this way. Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan is opposed to God, and God is opposed to Satan, but is by no means is Satan as powerful or as omnipotent all-knowing as God. See, God, in a moment, with a word, created all of the universe. Satan, in his limited power, can do to the billionth and billionth and billionth and billionth of a fraction of what God can do. And we in our religious minds often think that somehow Satan and the forces of evil are equally opposed to God and the forces of good and love. And somehow, if they continue warring, there's this black and white, and it's gray in the middle somewhere there because of this clash, and that is not the truth of the gospel. See, God is always, only, ever, always, completely, always in control. And that includes Satan. And so when Paul tells us This morning when we read in Romans chapter 5 here in these verses, he says, the gift that we receive is not like the trespass from the one man. It is much more. That This much more, uh, let me explain it this way. Um, 
if I step on an ant, it is very easy for me to kill that ant, right? You ever have a mosquito on your arm and squashed instantly? It's easy for me to create death. See, that's the natural way of the earth. By the way, that's a great argument against evolution. Things don't naturally get better. Evolutionists would try to tell you, no, things are getting better. Things are getting better. We're getting smarter. We're getting, no, we're just understanding more information. But we're not getting better. Humanity is not getting more loving and more kind. If anything, it's going the opposite way. Things naturally decay. And for me to smack a mosquito, that's easy. The power of death, that's easy. See, what's much more, what's harder, what is supernaturally impossible is the power of God to create life. And so in this moment where Paul is saying, the death that came into the world, that's natural. See, by one man, sin entered the world. By one man, death entered the world. Adam and Eve looked at the fruit, and they ate it, and they rebelled against God. And in that moment, sin and death took its toll, and the natural progression of decay and de decomposing, etc., takes place, and that's easy. But what is impossible, and what is supernatural, and what is much more is the reversal of that curse. If you were to say, Kelly, it was so easy to smack that mosquito, but Kelly, now try to breathe life into it. Ugh. Hey, try to give the little mosquito CPR. <laughs> Come on, buddy. No scientist can create life. They may think they know where it comes from. They may think they know they got it all figured out. Not one scientist can squash a bug and revive it to life. See, we think these things sometimes are more powerful because they're the easy way. It's easy to hate. It's easy to kill. It's easy to destroy, but what's impossible is to bring life. See, love and hate are not the opposite. Love is stronger than hate. And so when Paul tells us, friends, this new DNA, like you, you give your life to Christ, these guys are coming up and they're going to get baptized here in a moment, and they're going to stand here and they're going to say, this new DNA, I once was like the, the little mosquito, dead, but now God in his impossibility, only he can bring life. We come out of the waters and that's the representation. We stand here, we go, Lord, thank you. That my DNA, when I take it and it goes in the little vial and spins around, the scientist looks under a microscope, he's looking for Adam. Hey, hey, uh, George, come over here. He's like, what, what? L look at this vial. I, um, I took the blood from this guy, and it should say Adam, but it doesn't for some reason. Something weird's happening here. He's like, and George's coming to look over. Oh, what are you talking about? He comes over, he looks over, he's like, uh, this is where my mind goes. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, what are you talking? And he starts looking. He's like, okay, all right, wait, wait a minute. Is this, is this the same Kelly? This, this must be somebody else's DNA because this doesn't seem right. Why don't you get another? So we bring Kelly. Sorry, hey, there's been a mix-up at the lab. I'm really sorry. Uh, okay, I'll go back in. Go, I don't know where I'm going with this. A whole story. Um, but... Kelly, come back in. We got to draw your blood again. It seems like, you know, we, it just seemed, okay, okay, great. Draw my blood. Here it is. Come back. We'll give you a call. We come back. They're looking at it again. What the heck? 
You know where I'm going with this, right? The DNA's changed. How? Jesus. Jesus sets us free. We no longer, when we, when, uh, Paul tells us, no, no man by the flesh. Why does he tell us that? Because when we become a new creation, our old ways are gone. The old Adam, we put it to death. And we are no longer, well, we're going to get to this in a minute. I'm jumping ahead, but we're no longer bound by that stuff anymore. And when we come into the cross, the crossroads, and, he, and you know, the flesh goes, take the red, take the blue, blah, 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 all these kinds of things. We just go, I don't, I don't have to do what I used to have to do anymore. And my DNA now, when I looked at, and, and here's the, mo- the, the more beautiful thing about this. You know why it's more important? You know why it's super important that this has changed? Because when God the Father, the holy and just God, the one who holds good and evil and he weighs and balances them, right? And he looks at us, according to the flesh, we'd be the Adam. But in his love for us, he sends the new Adam, the new and better and the perfect Adam, which is Jesus. See, Adam couldn't do it. Adam, he failed, but he sends Jesus And Jesus was perfect in his whole life. And then what he does is he imputes Jesus' perfect life into us. And when he weighs us up, he no longer looks at our Adam nature. He says, if you've received Christ into your life and you profess him as Jesus, as Lord and Savior, I no longer look at your flesh. I'm going to regenerate your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to transform your heart from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I'm going to mold it so it's soft and you will end up loving me and you'll desire the things that I desire. You're going to turn from these things. And and when I look at you, no longer are you going to be known as the flesh. When I look at you, I'm going to see Christ in you. And I'm going to say, I love you. Don't fear anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore because my, my propensity to, to punish evil, it's not for the same for you. I'm not going to punish the evil. You know why? Because that evil's already been punished in Christ. And when I look at you, my son, my daughter, I see Jesus. Because you had this transfusion. I took out all your, your, your crummy DNA and I infused you with the DNA of Jesus. Now, all right. I got I to wrap it up because we got to baptize some folks here. So Paul tells us, I didn't even talk anything about my notes. What just happened? <laughs> he tells us we go from death to life, condemnation to justification. See, these are all the things you just missed. From sinners to righteous. And it really comes down to, like, I almost named this sermon, Who's Your Daddy? All right, let's, let's just end with this. Let's talk about the application of this, all right? You're a new creation. You, you, you once were under Adam, you know, you had that DNA. If, if, and there's a big if here, if you have put your hope and your faith in Jesus as your Lord, that means he's your master. That means whatever he says, you do, Right? He's the dad. He's the boss. He's the, and, but you trust him in that. But not only, not only is Jesus your Lord, he's also your Savior. All right? You can't have one without the other. You can't be a Christian and just say, Jesus is my Savior. He saved me from my sin, and then I can kind of do whatever I want. And then I just do whatever I want, and then, like, you know, he's my Savior. 
And he can't just be your master either. He's not just this cold taskmaster that's like barking orders. At us. No, he's, he's strong and he's loving and he's, he's our father and he's our master and our savior. So if that's all true, and then we say, yeah, Kelly, well, how does this work out, right? So Paul says this thing, read with me in verses 20 through 21. And he also said it in verse 17, but we're going to see it here. He says this, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, so basically wherever there's the law, we understand that we're breaking the law, right? But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We talked about this much more thing. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we understand that through this grace, we have eternal life. We have, the, we have a future hope. When Jesus returns, it's not a scary day. It's not like, oh my gosh, we're getting caught off guard. And how will he catch me? We'll be caught in sin or we'll be caught doing good things. And then if I'm caught doing good things, then I'll go to heaven. If I'm caught in that moment doing sin, then I'll go to hell. No, that's not, the, that's not, our, that's not our faith. We, we've been set aside. We have an eternal hope. We've been set free. We know that we're going to rule and reign. And here's the reign that we need to understand. Here's the application for us this morning. If you have put your hope and faith in Christ, you have a reign, R-E-I-G-N, that we get to live in as Christians. What is this reign that Paul is talking about? And I just want to give us a couple things and we'll be done here. Because of our heritage has changed, our inheritance changes. And it, it, it's, it, this reigning is now, it's for the here and now as Christians. And you remember um, Lion King? And not the new. Come on. I mean, the old cartoon, right? You remember where, where, where Simba comes and sits by his James Earl Jones dad? And they're sitting there looking over, and the, the sun's like, it's all the music, ah, you know, that's like, and then his dad says, everything the light touches, right, is our kingdom. Join me. So he has this, there's this moment where the, the, the father sits the son down, and he says, look at Simba, this is your inheritance, you get to reign in this life in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean, remember how we did the uh, Taken Out of Context sermon series where we did, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and like sports guys put it on their shoes and all these kinds of things. And like we say, I can win a basketball championship in the name of Jesus. The problem is if the other team is Christian and they're saying the same thing, who ends up winning? It doesn't make sense. So what what, what Paul is not saying here in this reigning in life isn't like you just kick butt, take names, and everything you do, you're always dominating, and you're like, yes. No, the reigning in life has some really helpful applications, and, and this, is, this is how they look. Number one, sin had no dominion over Jesus, and so sin no longer has dominion over us. And why is this important to really, really understand? Because in those moments of crossroads that we all face, even as Christians, our flesh will lie to us, the enemy will lie to us, and tell us you have no choice, right? And before Christ, that's actually true. But after Christ, we've now been empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to 
be able to choose righteousness. See, before we only could choose sin in the flesh, but now in Christ, because Jesus has overcome sin and death, he passes that on to us, the inheritance, to live a Christian life that is holy, to live a Christian life that chooses to not give way to sin, but to be subject to the Holy Spirit's leading. Do we still choose wrong sometimes? We sure do, right? But we don't have to choose wrong anymore. And that is good news, okay? So sin had no dominion over Jesus, and it has no dominion over us. The other one here is the enemy, Satan, and demons, and the forces of darkness had no dominion over Jesus, and they know they have no dominion over you. See, as Christians... We can walk with an authority and a confidence and a security. There's no curse that can be set upon us. Jesus, God is our Father. And as a good and loving and strong Father, He's protecting us. And we are not subject to the forces of, of the enemy. Now, does, that thing, does that mean that the enemy cannot do bad things? And that, like, let's say, like, the enemy is you know, robbing from us and stealing from us. Yeah, that, that can still happen. But it means that we are no longer subject to that, that we, we now have a new, we live in a new kingdom. We have no longer have to live in fear. We no longer, we, and we can say in the name of, I remember when one of my boys was crying just incessantly one night. And I think it was the Holy Spirit who spoke to me and said, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to get all spooky and stuff, but he said, go into his room and just rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus, Right? So I got up, and, and I remember opening the door and just going, whoa, okay, there's like, a, I could feel an evil presence. And I just said, okay, God, in the name of Jesus, I command this presence to flee in Jesus' name. Instantly, it was like peace entered the room. My boy stopped crying. And what, does that come from me? No, not from me at all. That's the authority that I've inherited because of my father because of Jesus. All right, and then the last one is that we find, this might seem antithesis to what we're just saying here, but we find our life in surrender. And why did I say it this way? Here's what I mean by this. Reigning in the Christian life means that we're no longer subject to sin It means that we're no longer subject to the enemy, but it also means we're no longer subject to us having to fight for our own way of life anymore. It means that we can surrender to God, and if we trust that God is good, then we can submit our lives to him. You know who did this? Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 22, 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. You know what he's talking about here? It's a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's about to go to the cross, and he says, God, Dad, I'm about to suffer. It's going to be intense. Dad, if this is at all possible, if there's any other way, will you, will you please figure that out? But he doesn't just end there. <laughs> this... He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's why you and I are here this morning, right? Thank you, Jesus, for that. And see, Jesus' example for us this morning is, God, I don't have to fight for my own way anymore. Do I plead with you? God, this is really hard. 
this is circumstance, Lord, will you, will you, if there's any other way, will you remove it? But if there's no other way, not my will, but yours be done. Why can I say that? Because I trust that you're a good father. I trust that you're in control. God, I trust that you know the, the end from the beginning. And I put my hope in you. And that's reigning in life, friends. Will you stand with me this morning?